welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. If you, uh, if you if you have a Bible, uh, let's, let's, let's look at Psalm 127. We haven't looked at Psalm 127 in a couple of weeks now. That's our main passage. Psalm 127 is our main passage that we're preaching from in the sermon series on parenting. And even if you're not a parent, this is still applicable to you. Uh, how many of you non-parents have found this helpful at all? Has anybody been helped at all by this? All right, one person. Nice. You've been watching online too. There you go. He got you, okay. So it's worth it just for one. That's what Jesus said, right? I think Jesus said that, if you were the only one. Actually, he didn't say that. That was a song, but um, Caleb said that, and I guess Caleb knows what they're talking about, right? I mean, after all, the reward of his sufferings and all. So, all right, let's jump in Psalm 1. I'm feeling feisty today, so you might want to look out. I just, all the toes, just look out. I might, I, might, I might step on them, especially since I don't even have a pulpit. So there's nothing, like, between me and, like, your toes. It's just, uh, Corey's going to save your toes. Psalm 127, let's jump into Scripture. Uh, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And that's really the point of this whole sermon series is we need God. Uh, I don't care how smart you are, how spiritual you are, how much how you raised in the church or whatever. We need God to build our homes. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city. The guards stand watch in vain. The same principles apply for our country. Right? Your home needs God. My home needs God. Our country needs God. And without God, our sense of security, it's really just that. It's a sense of security. It's not real security. How many of you think we need God in our country? Come on, somebody. Yeah, we need God in our homes. We need God in our country. He says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Because, look, he grants. He just gives it. He doesn't force you to stay up later. He gives sleep to those that he loves. He gives rest. He gives sleep. Anybody ready to claim that one? He gives sleep to those who he loves. Now, in verse 3, gets into the details of this idea of God building a home and a country. And it starts in the home. He says, look, this is how God sees children. Children are a heritage or a blessing or an inheritance from the Lord. Offspring, he says, are a reward from him. Verse 4, and this has been our main verse, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver or bag or satchel is full of them. And so we've been talking about the arrows uh, that God is calling us to raise up. God's calling us to raise up arrows in this day and age. In other words, our kids are the greatest weapon against the forces of darkness, the greatest weapon against the forces of Satan. This is why the enemy is working so hard to get kids. He's working overtime to steal the arrows from the warriors of God so that we won't be able to attack the forces of darkness. The greatest weapon in any generation is the children of that generation. And God wants to raise up some, some mighty arrows. So I know this one we got at Cabela's. Madden got this at Cabela's. And so I know back in the day they didn't, they didn't get arrows from Cabela's. Instead, they would, they would have to go and take the arrow from the forest. They have to go and find the, the stick or the wood from the tree, and they'd have to take it. So that was our first, our, our first week. We talked about taking the arrows. It really is about taking authority within our own homes. And so if you're a father, 
it's time to take the authority within your own home. If you're a mother, you can take authority within your own. You don't have to wait for the father. And fathers, you don't have to wait for mothers. You can take authority within your own home and raise up godly arrows. Right? So scripture has, is full of people who just simply took authority, who simply decided one day that they were not going to let their kids raise themselves. They were not going to let culture raise their kids. They were not going to let the TV raise their kids. They were going to input and influence their children for God. So you can do this. And by the way, it's not just children. It's, it's your coworkers. You can, you can take people where they're at and take them on a journey from where they're at to where they need to be. God can empower you to do that. Uh, your coworkers, your family members, Come on, how, how, how much long, for how much longer are you going to be content for your family members to go to hell? At what point are you going to wake up and say, wait a minute, this is not okay. I have to do something. I have to pray and fast. I have to get on my knees. I have to speak words of encouragement, words of truth, words of life. I have to be intentional about this, right? Nobody takes an arrow accidentally stumbling in the forest. Oh, oh, I guess I'll just stick this in my pocket and maybe it'll come in handy someday. No, like you don't just stumble across arrow potential. You have purpose, you have intentionality, and you take that arrow. You take authority. You say, I'm not very good at authority. Well, nobody is. Because all of us come from messed up versions of authority. All of us have had bad role models. And, and if nothing else, we have bad role models in government and on TV. We're all kind of influenced by this. But yet God's not saying you got to be perfect. A warrior isn't perfect. Air, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, not a perfectionist. Not an artist, thank God. <laughs> not a musician. Not, a, not, not somebody who's got to get it all just right. No, a warrior. Have you ever seen warriors? It's like as long as the enemy dies, we're good, right? So it's like my technique, I'm not, I'm not, it's not even a kung fu warrior, right? Like you don't even have to know all the stuff. Like it's just, it's a fighter. It's willing to get back up after you've been knocked down time and time and time again. That's what a warrior is. And so like arrows in the hands of a warrior, we have to take, we have to take, we have to take it. We have to take authority, but then we also have to shape uh, these arrows. So there'd be a lot of carving and shaving. And over the last couple of weeks, I, I talked about the shaping influences over our kids, yes, but also over our society. So even if you don't have kids or if your kids are grown, God is still calling you to shape those around you. Like we are the salt of the earth, right? The city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are called to shape culture, not be shaped by it. And so shaping influences, man, the greatest influence is you and me. We are the greatest influence in the lives of our kids. And then today I want to talk about sharpening the arrow. So every, every arrow has a point and every parent has a point. <laughs> And in our culture, man, it's crazy because cult Satan wants to, get, wants to get us so divided and so split and so multi-pointed that really we don't have any point at all. If you put five points on this thing, it's not, it's not going to fly very well. If you desire first and foremost that your kids love God, lovely. But you also desire first and foremost that they have an education, Hmm, okay. But you also desire first and foremost that they compete in athletics and understand the idea of teamwork. All right. You also desire first and foremost that they meet a lovely spouse and get married someday. Oh, all right. And it's like we pile on all of these points. We have several points and they're all just as valuable to us. What happens is our kids really don't hit any one of those particular points. And so I want to share with you just a biblical point, what I think is a, is a better point, like the best point. 
And, and that is the point of, of parenting for us, for me and Roe. The point is the gospel, that our kids would come to know and believe the gospel. That's, that to me is the point of parenting. Now, I want them to have a good education. Um, I want them to play sports. I, 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 have, I have desires for them outside of that point. But the way you know what your main point is, is what are you willing to sacrifice to achieve? And what, are, what is the one thing that is non-negotiable? Because, because you can say, oh yeah, my, my number one point is that, is, is, is that, is, is that my kids love and, 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 and know God, right? But, but then throughout their life, I'll tell them something. Well, you better do your homework because you, you want to go to college, right? Like, you, if, you don't, if you don't do this, you, you, you'll, you'll be a failure. And we, we, we say things like, yeah, I want my kids to, to know and believe the gospel. But then we live as if, wow, there's also these other great, 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 great weights. And honestly, your kids are always examining you to see what is most important. What is negotiable? What can I, what are the boundaries I can push? What's, and what's really going to get me in trouble? And over time, your kids are not going to do the things that will really get them in trouble. They are going to do the things that they think that they can push and pull. And, and many of you are experiencing that, especially when they become teenagers. Then it's not just pushing and pulling. Then it's shouting. And it's coming out very verbally and very openly. And people are like, I don't know what happened to my kids. Well, the same thing that was happening for 13 years. The, the, the point that you have been sharpening for 13 years is finally becoming evident. 14 years, 15 years. And what happens a lot of times, we don't like that point. <laughs> We're like, wait a minute, I thought it was the gospel. I thought it was Jesus. I thought, it was. And yet my kid's more concerned about sports than he is anything else. My kid's more concerned about being accepted by others more than he is than about following God. And, 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 but where, where did that come from? It came from years of, because of, you are, by the way, you do have a point to your parenting. You are sharpening something. And so I want to encourage us toward the gospel. And I, I know when I say the gospel, immediately there's all kinds of words that come to mind and misunderstandings. And so the, the gospel, when I say the gospel, I don't mean the story of God. I don't mean uh, the story, the historical truth that God became man and died for our sins and rose again on the third day. That, that's not really the gospel. That's, that's, that's a story that helps communicate the gospel, but that itself is not the gospel. So uh, just for some scriptural reference, Matthew, uh, we have this up on the screen. I think it's uh, Matthew chapter uh, 4, verse 17 and 23. Yeah, 23 is good. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, this is before he had died and rose again from the dead. So obviously the gospel is not just a story about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Otherwise, Jesus himself couldn't have preached the gospel while he's still alive, right? So the gospel is not a story. We have to separate the gospel means good news. And so here, Jesus is preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, before he's been crucified, before he's risen from the dead. And so what is the gospel? Well, verse 17 tells us exactly what Jesus was preaching. This is his, his two-point sermon. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I would argue that that is the essence of the gospel. That is the two points of the gospel. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent has to do with turning away from sin. 
Repent means to turn away or to change direction. In other words, I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm going away from God, and now I'm going to turn and I'm going to go toward God. I know you've probably heard lots of preachers say, well, it means to change your thinking, and it can mean that in terms of directional, right? But it, it literally, it just means to change, to make a change. I'm going in this direction. Now I'm going to make a change. And this is the first part of the gospel, that you and I are sinful, if you, if, you, if you don't receive the repentance part, you'll never understand the kingdom part. So the, the two points of the gospel is, first of all, you are really messed up. <laughs> this is why the gospel is offensive. This is why people killed Jesus. Because he, he's like, look, why would they kill somebody who's just preaching about love and going around telling everybody that God has drawn near? Well, yes, because he did say God has drawn near, but he also said you all are sinful. And you need saving. And there's some people who didn't like that. <laughs> Strangely enough, there's some folks that said, wait a minute, I'm actually doing pretty good, Jesus. We're, we're fairly keeping the law pretty well. Things are going pretty well. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, didn't take very kindly to Jesus' message. By the way, neither did Pilate. People are, act as if the only people that, that, that were against Jesus were the, were the religious crowd. No, no, no. no. The, the entire Roman world also thought he was bonkers. And Pilate wanted to meet with him so bad, and he had about a five-minute, it seems, meeting with him and walked away going, man, this guy, wow. I'll tell you what, go ahead. Yeah, I think you should kill him. <laughs> go for it. Like, because it's offensive to self-righteous people. This idea that, wait, I need to repent? What are you talking about? I've, I'm doing pretty well, Jesus, compared to everybody else around me. I'm doing all right. But the first part of the gospel is repent. And so that's why God resists the proud, James says. He resists pride, prideful people. If you have pride in your heart, you cannot receive the, the message of the gospel. And so the gospel has two components to it. First off, and I, and I, and I guess I kind of like the way that Timothy Keller put it. He put it in his book, and then he tweeted it out a little while ago. Uh, he said, the gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared to believe. That's the first part. The second part is, but you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. This is the two components of the gospel. First off, repent because you're messed up and you're sinful. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. God, in his holiness and his greatness, has drawn close to you. Meaning, I am more messed up than I dared allowed myself to believe, but I am also more loved than I could possibly have ever imagined. These are the two components to the gospel. And so when I say that the point of parenting is that our kids would come to, to, to believe, to know and believe the gospel, that's what I mean. I want them to believe, first off, that they themselves, in and of themselves, are messed up. That they do not have the goods in themselves. They do not have the ability within themselves to be pleasing to God, to be kind, to be generous, to be the things that God demands of them. They don't have it in themselves. So this is the first part of the gospel. And the second part is, but God, who is rich in mercy, right? But God has drawn near to us and God has empowered. God has given us his grace that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, that we now have direct access into the throne room of grace. And in that throne room, we can find grace to help in time of need.
And so this is the point. And uh, as I was sharing this with, 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 with Roe, we were talking about how, how we do this in our home. Um, and, and a lot of it we, we learned from, uh, is it Ted? Is that his name? Ted Tripp? There's a couple of Tripp preachers, I forget, but I think he's got some brothers. But Ted Tripp uh, wrote a book called um, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And we learned so much from that, along with just, just parenting uh, as I was raised uh, just in my own home, which, by the way, my mom and dad are here today. I'm glad that they're with us. And, and a couple of my mom's sisters made the trip. Aunt Carol and Aunt Gloria came down with them. They've been with us for the past few days um, as we, as we uh, celebrated Madison's graduation. They came down from Madison's open house. And it's good to embarrass her one more, one more time. And last Sunday we embarrassed her and uh, embarrass her again but and there's actually one other graduate in city chapel that we did not mention because he didn't want to be embarrassed and so uh, you know just out of respect i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that matthew jones graduated um <laughs> high school because we wouldn't want to make him feel bad so definitely do not hug him and shake his hand today and just tell him how proud you are of him because um, he would not like that so uh but anyway um <laughs> Uh, but no, we, 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 didn't, we didn't call him up last Sunday. But uh, anyway, being in, coming from a Christian home, this is something that, that my parents, uh, I think, worked hard to communicate. And I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying that they hit it. And by the way, I'm not perfect either. Rose's not perfect. And none of you all are perfect. The point is not perfection. The point is the gospel. And the gospel says, and this is what, as I was sharing with Rose, I'm like, babe, even as I talk about the gospel, it's like, this is the same point of city chapel actually <laughs> this is the point of city chapel that people would come to know and believe the gospel that that they are without god they are sinful that without god they are lost that before they come to god they have no righteousness in themselves even the good stuff is like filthy rags what the bible says but god is rich in mercy but god has drawn close but god has offered salvation so anyway i feel like that's also the point of 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 preaching it's the point of small groups. It's the point of worship. It's the point of raising our hands. It's the point of, 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 of acknowledging him and his greatness is to come under him and say, man, without him, I am nothing. Any church that brings you to believe you can build some kind of thing in your own power and your own strength, like that's not the gospel. And so, so the gospel is the point. And so what happens is I believe that all of life that God is trying to convince us of the gospel that even before you hear a preacher, that even before you come to church, that, that the Holy Spirit is drawing you and the Holy Spirit is calling you and he's presenting the gospel to you in several different ways and in several different times. Like the very fact that you decided to come to church is usually because you felt something inside of your heart was not right. Something was off, something about your relationships, something about your actions, something about your decision making, something about you was not complete. Very few people walk into church because their life is so grand that they think God's going to make it just a little bit better, right? Very few people come down the altar and cry out to God for salvation because their life is so wonderful 
that they just imagine maybe there's just this one next level better. No, most of us get to the end of our rope. Most of us get to a place where we can't do it on our own, where we feel condemned, where we feel guilty, where we feel sinful. I was six years old when I got saved and it wasn't because there was this offer of greater power. Because at six years old, what do I need with like being able? I mean, I did want to fly. That would have been cool. Like Superman, that would have been awesome. Uh, I did have a toy lightsaber and I prayed for God to turn it into a real lightsaber. You know, I thought that would be awesome. But then later on, I thought, man, I probably would have burned the house down if he would have done that. So who knew God was more wise than a seven-year-old, apparently. But you know, like those are the things that, that would have attracted me, I guess, if somebody would have said, but man, I remember Willie George or Gospel Bill was his name. And we had this video, this presentation, and he talked about how sin enters our life and we can't get it out. And I said, yeah, I, I, like that's me. I'm six years old and I have felt the sting and the stain of sin in my life and I cannot get it out. I do not know how to behave. And it's the sooner, and some, some of you all were more stubborn than me, right? I came to that, I, I acknowledge that at six. Some of you waited till you're 16. Some of you waited till you're 60. But, you know, so it takes a little longer for some of us to be like, I do not know how to behave rightly. My life is preaching to me. My life is showing me the gospel. That I am sinful. That I need a savior. And so in our parenting... How do, we, how, do we, how do we see the gospel in our kids? Well, let me tell you, your kids, every, in fact, today, Sunday, it's Sunday. Uh, so when church gets out in about uh, three hours, um, you're going to have an opportunity to see the gospel in action. You're going to see your kids and you're going to see sinfulness coming out of them. On the ride home. Maybe not even like you're going to be in the parking lot trying to get out and there's going to be a conversation about the radio or there's going to be a conversation about, you know, I remember one time at, uh, at Promise Land Church, Promise Land is a big church and I was associate pastor there and I remember, um, man, uh, this lady uh, who had been going to the church for, like she was one of the founding members and she was telling me, she's like, she's like, I love, I think it was the, we had like multiple services and uh, we had this big, uh, you never have enough parking by the way, if you've realized that and it doesn't matter if you're a church or a restaurant or what you are in Austin, you never have enough parking and so it's like, uh, she's, she was telling me, she's like, yeah, I, I love going to this service, but I don't like going to it because that's what so many people go to. And uh, she's like, you know, I'm fine with the people, but it's like when I'm trying to leave, you know, like their windows are down and they're like yelling at me as I'm trying to get in a different place. I'm like, people are yelling at me. Like, we're not doing our job as pastors. If people are cussing folks out in the parking lot, like they don't even wait till they get home. What is going on here? Like, come on, man, we need to step up discipleship. This needs to ramp up. Because it is true, like, like that, that, you're, that there is examples throughout our daily life for us to see sin in our kids. But that's because our kids haven't come to know the gospel yet. But when you come to know the gospel, the gospel changes you. It's not just a story. It's not just a historical description of something that happens. The scripture says it is the power of God unto salvation. And so the gospel, when you come to a realization that you are broken beyond repair and that God has come close and that he is offering salvation, that's power. 
It's not just a story, it's power. So anybody who says they have experienced and received the gospel, but they're living the same way they were before they received the gospel, they haven't received the gospel. Because the gospel is power. It's to salvation is what it says. To being saved from. Sozo means to be healed. So if you, you know, if you come down to the front and we pray over you and you, you have a cold and you're sniffling and sneezing and, and we pray for healing, we know that you're healed if you're no longer sniffling and sneezing, if your head's not foggy anymore and you walk away, you say, wow, I'm healed. But if you're still sniffling and sneezing and still have a fever and you're still falling over, you haven't been healed. I thought this was obvious, but maybe not. You guys are going to say, let me, let me just rework this, all right? If you tell me you can play piano, but you get up there and you don't actually know any chords or notes or anything, you can't play piano. That's not how that works, <laughs> all right? You tell me you can bench press 150 pounds, we put 150 pounds on that, and you cannot lift it up. That is not bench pressing 150 pounds, all right? So there's actual parameters, actual ways to tell if you have received the gospel. Is your life different? Have you been transformed by the gospel? Or have you simply believed that a story is true? If you just believe that a story is true, that's exactly what the demons have done. They believe that the story is true, but they do not apply it to themselves. It doesn't change them. Okay? So, so understanding and believing a historically true story is lovely. But allowing that story to change me. This is what it means to receive the gospel. So, so when, you, when you walk out of here, you, your, your kids are going to say something because somebody got a snack and somebody didn't get a snack and somebody got a, a reward. I don't know what they do over there, but anyway, it's not always fair, right? And uh, you're going to hear some of that and you're going to get some of that and you're going to get in the car and then someone's going to want to listen to this music and someone's going to listen to country and someone's going to want to listen to hip hop and someone's going to listen to Christian and K-Love. And, and, anyway, and, and so you're going to have loads of opportunity to see the gospel in action. The gospel, the first step of the gospel is I need God. And so there's all kinds of moments to say, yep, I need God. And so I wanna give you a handy little chart actually um, that you guys can maybe at the end uh, when I have a list here, you can like take a picture and maybe take it home because I wanna help equip you because a couple things. One, as parents and really as people who claim to wanna to follow God, we need to know the word of God to be able to follow God. Because it is the word of God that helps us know what to do with these situations that arise. It's the word of God that helps shed some light on it. So anyway, uh, if you can throw up the handy, um, the handy flow chart. I uh, just want to walk you through this. I told you it's a handy flow chart. So, so if you can go ahead and give us the first one. So on the outside, you're going to see something. You're going to see some unforgiveness. All right, so this is something that happens. I don't know if it happens with your all's kids, but with our kids, um, some, one of the kids will do something to the other kid that probably isn't right. But the kid that has been sinned against will hold on to that. And it might be like the next day or at, at, early on, it was like weeks had gone by. And it's like, well, back when so-and-so, it's like, oh my gosh, you still remember that far? Like, what is going on? But no, this, this, but this is true, not just in your kids, by the way. They, I see a lot of unforgiveness among adults, too. I've had family meetings within the church, and this family tells, them, tells me about how that family, like one of their kids, did something to one of their kids, literally 12 months prior. And I'm like, and you still remember that? Like, wow, can we, can we, can we let it go, let it go? Can, like, 
But no, it's, it's there. It's unforgiveness. Okay, that's the outside. So you see unforgiveness in your life. You see unforgiveness in someone else's life. I did a whole sermon series on unforgiveness. So technically, it's not a word, and I didn't want to put it up there as that. But it was, it's, just, it's, it's the way to explain to you all what I'm talking about. When somebody does not forgive another person, that's an external thing. But that's because there's an internal thing. There's a heart situation going on, a desire for revenge. In other words, I will happily forgive them when I make them feel as miserable as they made me feel. <laughs> or when God makes them feel as miserable. Or when dad makes them feel as miserable as I. Like, I, oh yeah, I will forgive them as soon as they feel what I felt when they did that to me or didn't give me that or made me feel this way. Right? And so this, it's a desire for revenge. And so, so I want to give you the scripture for that. Romans 12, 17. Actually, we just went through this passage uh, last week with our kids. Romans 12, 17. Why? Because we're sitting around and we're talking about this. So when you see unforgiveness, don't just, um, don't just be like the world and imagine that that's just part of growing up. Unforgiveness is not part of growing up. It's not part of being a kid. It's not part of being an adult. It's not part of being a human. It is not, it is not normal. For you and I. We were not created for unforgiveness. It does horrible things to your health. It does horrible things to your brain. It does horrible things to, to your psyche. So, so, so we have to deal with this with our kids. We can't allow them to be tortured by unforgiveness. Because it'll, it'll, it'll destroy them. And it'll cause them to be destructive to other people. And so what we do is we sit down with our kids when we see unforgiveness. And we talk about a heart that desires revenge. We talk about a heart that wants to get even. We talk about a heart that wants to see somebody else suffer the way that they have. And the best thing to do is to go to Scripture. And so in Romans 12, 17, I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it for you. Uh, the Holy Spirit says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, including Democrats. Do not, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so we sat with our kids, we said, look, look, you can trust God with justice. You can, you can do what is right, you can react differently. Yeah, but she said, or he hit me first. That's a revenge statement. Because what he did means what I did is justified. Because I am getting back. I am, I am executing justice. Yeah, but she took my... Like, the, those kinds of statements, that's all revenge statements. Right? And, 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 and especially when you sit down, he's like, why did, why did you hit her? Or why did you take that? Or what? And you have that discussion, they're going to say, well, because she did this and because he did this. Those are revenge statements. The answer is not to seek revenge. The answer is to trust God with justice. Leave room, the Holy Spirit says, for the wrath of God. This is what happens when you believe God's smiling all the time. <laughs> when you believe God's smiling all the time, that means you gotta, you gotta take matters in your own hands to get some justice. Because your God is just gonna smile at all the sin and he's just gonna be okay with it. He's not okay with it. He's not okay when people hurt you. He sees that. He takes note of that. He jots it down in his book. That's right. You're on my list. 
Like read Romans 1, 2, and 3. God's got a list. He's taking notes. And he is going to bring justice for his children. He cares about it. He feels your pain. He sympathizes or empathizes with your weakness. And he has vowed to bring justice to the earth. And so this is what we do. We commit ourselves to God. We allow God to bring justice for us. Uh, also, I mean, goodness, you could also look at uh, Jesus in 1 Peter. I didn't put this scripture up there, but 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. It says, when they hurled insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Like this is what, this is, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to us as to how we can receive the gospel. We can take our unforgiveness and we can say, okay, this is what I can do with it. I can trust God with justice. And I've had these conversations with my kids because it, 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 it might be your kids, it might be some kids at school who treated him unjustly, right? And it's just, and, and, and like I've had Micah say time and time again, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. It's just not fair. And I said, well, yeah, every person who's walked with God, who said, I want to be a Christian or a Christ-like person, like Christ, has experienced things that are not fair. Because Christ himself experienced things that were not fair. And if you say you want to be like Christ, that means you want to, you signed up for this, for, for experiencing things that were just simply not fair. And instead of seeking justice for yourself, you trusted God to get justice for you. And what happened with Jesus? When Jesus trusted God to get justice for him? (laughs) Scripture says that God has raised him up to the highest place and given him a name that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. In other words, God is really good at making up for what life has taken out of you. God is really good at replenishing and healing the wounds that that, that people have created inside of you. God is really, you're not very good at it at all because you just make more wounds, right? They wound you, you wound them. They wound you, you wound them. You never heal yourself. But God is really good at saying, hey, look, let me bless you. Let me elevate you. Let me impart to you something you cannot get for yourself. And this is what happened for Jesus, and this is what the gospel holds out to us. That yes, you are flawed, and yes, you do have unforgiveness, and you do have a heart that desires revenge. But God is so good that if you will give that over to God, that desire for revenge. And so this is what we do. We sit around, we talk about this. until We talk about it until they understand and know. Not until dad has told them. <laughs> but until they understand and know the gospel. And then we pray. Because how in the world are you going to get a desire for revenge out of your heart by yourself? You're not going to do it. And so we say, Father, help us. Father, we give you our unforgiveness. We give you this desire for revenge. I don't want it anymore. I want you to fill me with your love. I want you to fill me with your heart. I want your mind. Let this mind which was in Christ Jesus also be inside of you. That taking on the form of a servant, he humbled himself. Father, I want that mind. Uh, On on, on to the next one. Uh, (laughs) It's going to take too long, but uh, there's oftentimes selfishness going on. Anybody got any selfishness going on in their home, right? (laughs) We played that game last time. It's my turn to pick the game. I want to play this game. 
And what happens is as parents, oftentimes we get so caught up in the details. Like Ted Tripp talks about that. We get so caught up in the details that we ourselves become like kids. And we're like, all right, well, who had it last? Um, all right, who's had the most minutes on the Nintendo Switch? Let's get the timer out. And like we become just like kids, just kind of smarter, right? And bigger and louder. But we become, do we, but we enter into their world, into to the minutia of it, and we forget that we are called to nurture our kids and to elevate their perspective, that there's something more than, than five more minutes on the Nintendo Switch. That there's something more than playing Monopoly versus Scrabble, if that's what they wanted. Like, that there's more important things in life. And so what we do, man, with our kids, if we're, if we're seeing selfishness on the outside, that means there's probably a love of self on the inside. These are not, these are not absolute. Sometimes there's other stuff going on, right? So you can figure that stuff out with your kids. <clears throat> but what I've noticed is oftentimes there's a love of self. What does that mean? I, 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 I love myself. And I want what I want, and I want it now. And I don't care about you. I only care about you in as much as you're going to help me get what I want. And it's so destructive to raise our kids in that way and to treat them that that's, and to, and to, to teach them that that's okay, that this is how we respond to people and this is how we live. <laughs> it's very dangerous because then they'll enter into church and it's like, I got this spiritual gift. You got to hear me because I'm very important. <laughs> and I got to get up there and preach and I got to be the one to sing that special. And that's because, like, man, because I'm really important. This love of self can put on a suit and tie and go to church and sit and feel very comfortable because the sermon doesn't apply to them because they're nearly perfect. It applies to you all, all these sinners. Right? Like that, that's who it applies to. It's the love of self. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a level of self-esteem that esteems oneself so very highly. And this is not helpful. This is toxic. You know, those toxic traits. <laughs> Most of them are not even really toxic. They're just, you know, this is an actual toxic trait. To love yourself. Jesus said the greatest command is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love others as yourself. Same level. Right? So I don't put myself up here. In fact, uh, the scripture that we have, Philippians uh, chapter 2, he says, look, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing, he says, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, which is pride. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking at your own interests, but each of you looking to the interest of others. You're like, well, yeah, that'd be it. That'd be a great, you know, that's someday I'll get. No, this is the Holy Spirit talking to you right now. This is not in the sweet by and by. It's not when we get to heaven. Right now, 2022, the Holy Spirit wants you to put the needs of others above yourself. Husbands, the Holy Spirit wants you to put the needs of your wife above your own. Wives, the Holy Spirit wants you to put your husband's needs above your own. Well, but I'm going to need... No, no, no. Above your own. That means I am concerned first about others' needs. And then I'm concerned about my needs. I'm not a doormat, but I am concerned first about others' needs. So I don't think I'm living that. Welcome to the gospel. This is the gospel. That you and I cannot live this on our own. That none of us put others first. All of us want the closest parking space in Walmart. <laughs> Come on. 
and we get mad if we wait for it and somebody else swoops in there and takes it. <laughs> the other day we were at we were at Costco. That's crazy. You go to Costco, and uh, there was this spot, and I had been waiting for it, and, and there was another person who came up, and it was kind of that awkward, like, oh, what are we going to do? And I said, you know what? I'll just let him take it. And Ro kind of teased me about that, and I said, well, I can't preach this stuff and not live it, right? I can't, like... I'm sorry. I'm the, I'm, I got to preach on Sunday. I just, the Lord's convicted me. I can't just like, I want the closest one. <laughs> but it's true. Like you can't tell your kids, hey, you need to put your brother ahead of you. And then show them by example that actually if I get the closest spot, that's what's really important. If I get the best cart at Walmart that doesn't, the one that, that doesn't, you know, where the wheel doesn't, like, like that's more, I'll leave this one to them, but I'll take this one. Here, you take this, I'll take that one. I get the biggest cookie when we're passing plates around, right? Because I'm looking for what's best for me. <laughs> May the Lord convict us and convince us of the gospel. Say, well, I didn't come to church to hear that. I wanted to be encouraged, Harry. I'd want to be encouraged. This is the path to true encouragement. Humility is the path to true encouragement. And without humility, God resists the proud. Wanna know why you haven't heard God in a while? He's not talking to you. When you're proud, he's not talking. He resists you. <laughs> There's been some good blocks in the NFL. People just got decked, right? And they go, out and go, go for that tackle and bam, that block. You try getting blocked by God. It's, 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 a, it's a huge block. God resists the proud. It's, it's like this and you try as hard as you can. You pray and you come to church, do everything that you can. And you, you're just, you can't get any closer to him. Because God himself is holding you back. Why would he do that? Because well, he's, he's protecting you. Because if you come into his presence with that kind of pride, and then he reveals to you what he wants you to do, you'll end up just like Pharaoh. And your heart will get so hard, and you will say, who do you think you are? I am king of my life. I am Pharaoh. You're not going to tell me what to do. And then judgment will come even harder on you. He's helping you. He's giving you time to humble yourself. While he's blocking you and you're trying to get to him. He's like, no, 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 you, seriously, you don't, want, you don't want this. You're not ready for this yet. But you can be ready. The gospel is you can be ready right now. The gospel is that God has come close to us and that he has empowered us. And that us and our kids, even though we love ourselves immensely and we don't naturally put people ahead of us, that God can help us. And so what we'll do is we'll gather with the kids and we'll be like, hey, you know what? You guys aren't alone. Dad does this too. Dad wants the closest parking spot. Dad wants things be his way. Dad would love to have dinner at this time and da 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 and all this stuff. But dad also has to rely on God to put mom first. Dad doesn't want to put mom first. <laughs> Except when it works for me. Right? Because sometimes it's like, well, if I do this, then you're scheming ways, right? <laughs> be all romantic, right? figuring stuff out that's still love of self that's still love of self because i'm looking for something and you want to you 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 want to make a marriage toxic have people who do stuff conditionally it's difficult man it doesn't work because two people who love themselves do not really love each other 
This is what God has called us to. Maybe that's why multiple marriages haven't worked for you. Uh, But they can work. It can work if you can come under God. And so with our kids, we say, man, we have love of self. And usually both of them do, and that's, that's what's going on. And so we'll say, Lord, we, we submit this to you. Fill us with your love, the kind of love that puts other people ahead of himself, the kind of love that, that gives without expecting stuff back, the kind of love that just, that just truly sacrificially loves. Sometimes fear is an issue. I think that's the next one. Uh, we, have, we have a heart of fear, and that produces anxious, anxiousness on the outside. Fear, afraid of the dark, afraid of being upstairs by themselves, afraid of, you know, at night especially, you know, monsters under the bed and all kinds of fear for little kids, but, but older kids too, for going to school, going to college or, or stepping into this thing by myself, right? And, and there's this anxiousness and it's from a heart of fear, which, which First John chapter 4 verse 18 says that perfect love casts out fear. And so anyone who fears hasn't been perfected in love. In other words, they haven't received the fullness of the love of God. I mean, fears all kinds. CNN and NBC, are, like that's how they make their businesses through fear. And even most recently, right, the, the shootings in, 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 in Uvalde, where 21 people were, were killed, just brutal, awful. And the next day, what my Facebook feed was filled with parents who had so much fear of sending their kids to school. But fear is not about the size of the giant in front of you. It's really not. I mean, literally, it's just, it's just plain not. I was doing a little research about that. You know, what are the odds that, that, that a child will be killed in a school shooting? And from my research back in 20, 2018, the numbers came out based on the numbers of kids in school but, and, uh, you know, divided by the number of kids who are, are actually killed in school shootings. It's like one in one and a half million. One in one and a half million. I think that's around lottery numbers. Like one in one and a half million. The, your, your chance of being struck by lightning is one in 700,000. So literally you have, you have a better chance of being struck by lightning twice between the ages of 6 and 18 than you have of being shot and killed in a school shooting. But CNN doesn't report on lightning strikes because they're not trying to ban assault clouds. <laughs> high, high magazine cloud. I don't, I'm not sure how that works. There's not, 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 you know, there's not, they're not trying to regulate that. But they do, they talk about this a lot. My goodness, it could happen to you. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen in your school. And can it? Yeah. Could you be struck by lightning twice? I guess, yes. I have never seen anyone be struck by lightning. But honestly, I think the chances of dying in a car accident are something like 1 in 107. Like 14,000 more times than, than dying in a school. So literally, like, it's not crazy people with guns you should be afraid of. It's Texans in cars. <laughs> and let's just be honest. If we're going to fear something, Texans in cars scare the heck out of me. I get saved when I get on the road, you know what I'm saying? Because this could be my last drive. I mean, literally, you don't know what they're doing, why they're doing it, when they're going to do it. No, and it, like you just drive down the freeway and there's accidents all over, and some of them look pretty bad. But, but we don't report on that because we're not trying to ban assault cars. <laughs> 
high-capacity gas tanks. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But, but, the, but the truth, yeah, we're, we're already getting rid of the high-capacity gas tank. We don't need that. Just, give me two gallons. That's all I can afford right now. Just give me two gallons. I'm good. It's a single shooter, man. It's just one bullet at a time. So fear, but fear is not logical. And so you can spend all your time talking to your kid about, oh, no, there's no monsters under there. No, no, you're not going to get shot at school. You can spend all your time doing that. But you haven't addressed the heart that has not fully received the love of God. This is why people are scared. Because of a lack of love. Because of a lack of love, a lack of love of God. They haven't received the love of God. So what we do, right? Uh, 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 David said, when I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. And so if our kids are scared of the dark, okay, honey, let's pray that you would trust in God. There, I don't know. There might be monsters under your bed. Heck, what do I know? <laughs> like, I'm talking on the microphone. I don't understand how this microphone works. There's waves going over that way that are being picked up by something. I don't know. Like, it's all kind of that way, and then it's going that way. Anyway, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't get. But I'll tell you, I do know that God is with you in the dark. I do know that God is with you at school. I do know that God is with me in the car. And I do know that nothing will happen to me that God has not personally allowed to happen to me. And my faith is not in my ability to control my environment. My faith is in the goodness of God. God has drawn near. He is faithful and he is good. And not everybody lives to 25. And I get that. And that's awful. And I can't explain that. Because there's a lot of stuff I don't know but I know that God is good and I know that God is in control and I know that I have been so filled with the love of God that I cannot doubt his presence. I cannot doubt his care for me. Another one is um, strong desires. I think, yeah, on the outside, your kids may be fighting. I don't know, anybody have any kids fighting with their words, fighting with their fists? <laughs> fighting... Well, 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 why? It's just, 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 just the other day we were sitting down with our kids, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. And I said, why? why? Why are we fighting? Why does the Bible say you're fighting? Well, if you ask a kid why he's fighting with his words, fighting with his hands, he will tell you, well, because she. And then you go to her and you're like, okay, so why are you fighting? Well, because he. And you go back to him and say, why are you fighting? Well, because she. And you're just kind of playing like a ping pong. It's boing, 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 back, back. And what happens is you never get to the heart of the issue. The Bible does not say that you are fighting because of anybody other than you. James uh, chapter 4 verse 1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Good question. And it says, don't they come from the desires that battle inside of you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, he says, because you do not ask God. So often, man, it's this strong, this lust or the strong desire inside of us that causes us to fight, that causes us to quarrel. And if we get caught up in our kids, well, she said that and he said that, you know, or they, they come home from school and, and well, they didn't, oh, really? I'm going to call that, that kid's parent right now. We're going to deal with it. Like, it's like we get into their level and we forget that we're called to nurture them, take them up to a higher level. And sure, there may be things that need to be addressed at school. There may be things that need to be addressed at the, in, within the home. 
right? We don't want to raise Hitler. <laughs> Walk around, do whatever he wants. Joseph Stalin, like we don't want another Stalin around here. So like, again, there's going to be consequences. But at the same time, you, what is your reaction to kids who do things they shouldn't do? What is your reaction when you really want something a particular way? You really want to play this video game, but this kid doesn't really doesn't want to play the video game. What is your reaction? The question is, do you ask God for what you want? Do you believe that God has provided everything that you need? Can you be content with what you have? Parents are like, uh, hmm, yeah, yes, 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 absolutely. I can be, con- yep, I can be, con- I don't need a new car. I, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> Come on, how many, how many new cars do you, how, how many improvements to your house do you need to make? How many shopping sprees do you need? How much do you need until you're content with what you have? Because these strong desires, this is what pushes, this is what breaks up marriages because people really want different things. And they're unwilling to submit their desires. They're unwilling to trust that God has given me everything that I need. I really want that, but eh, God hasn't given me that. And so what we do with our kids, we sit around and say, all right, let's pray about this. Because only God can change the desires of our heart. Only God can take those strong desires and say, okay, are you willing to wait for my timing in my way? Only God. That's the gospel. I'm more flawed than I thought that I was, but I'm more loved than I thought that I was. God is close. And he is ready to take your hand and he is ready to take those desires and help you submit them to his timing and to his way. Uh, we have another one here, I, I, I think. Uh, yeah, quitting. Any, 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 anybody got kids that struggle with that? Things get hard, <laughs> okay? Things get hard and they just want to quit. Comes from a heart of discouragement oftentimes. Why do you, why do you get discouraged? Because you're leaning on your own strength? Because you're prideful? Because you're like, I can do it right the first time. And then you figure out you can't. And then you quit. Because you hold yourself to a higher standard than God holds you. (laughs) That's called pride. Holding yourself or others to a higher standard. Jeremiah 17 verse 7 said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. This one is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought because it does not cease to bear fruit. And so, and so a, a quitting spirit, a giving up spirit, is the opposite of what God wants for us. It's just perseverance. But it's not about you pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. It's about where you planted If you're planted next to the river of life, if you're planted next to God, then even when things aren't going the way you thought that they were, you're still connected to your life source. And so even in a season of drought, you can still keep going forward. You can still keep doing what God's called you to do. You do not have to be. Scripture says, do not get discouraged. Do not get weary in well-doing. And people act like it's normal to get weary in well-doing. And yet the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. People are like, well, I'm just weary and well-doing. Why? Why would you turn against God like that? Why would you turn your back on God as if God's not powerful enough to empower you to persevere? 
As if his blood isn't enough to equip you to do more than you can do on your own. No, man, with our kids, when they're acting like they're quitting and they're facing discouragement, I say, look, let's pray. Let's trust in the Lord. Let's pray that God will strengthen your heart. Let's pray that God will be your strength. Do not rely on the arm of the flesh. It will fail you. But God is the strength of my heart. God is my fortress forever. God is my sword and my shield. He is the shield around me, the glory, and God is the lifter of my head. So, Lord, I bring my discouragement to you. I bring my prideful spirit to you. I bring my self-sufficiency to you. I am not enough. And any religion that tries to convince you that you are is lying to you. And the path to freedom, the path to actually having enough, actually being fruitful in every season does not come from self-esteem or believing that you are enough. It comes from recognizing that you're not. I have to be planted next to somebody. Jesus is the river that I'm planted next to, the strength that I'm drawing from. And so this is, this is, our, this is our hope that God can do anything. Uh, there's a man named Naaman in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, I think it is. And Naaman is a commander of an army, of a foreign, uh, foreign army, and he gets struck with leprosy. And he has leprosy. There's no cure for leprosy in those days. And, and he knows it's a death sentence. And, and one of his servant girls says, hey, there's a, there's a prophet in, in Israel who could, who could probably heal you. And so he sends a message to the king, and the king calls on Elisha. And uh, Elisha says, sure, send him, send him on to my house, and I'll, I'll pray over him. Well, well, this, this great man, this commander of the army, I mean, second in command over all of this, this, this foreign country, right underneath the king, he shows up at Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even bother coming out to say hello. Instead, he sends his servant outside of his little shack. I mean, it's like a hut. This is not like a mansion. It's not what you and I think of as a house. Like, like he can probably see him through the, like, the, the thin bits of the wall, you know? It's like... So Elisha's not going to come out, huh? And uh, Gehazi comes on out. The servant comes out, and he's like, all right, this is what the man of God said. He said that God will heal you, but you have to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. You've got to dip under the water seven times. And the guy's like, what? He's like, are you kidding me? I came all this way. And he even says, look, I thought Elisha himself was going to come out. I thought I was going to get an autograph. He didn't actually say that, but he said, I thought, he th- he said, I thought you're going to come out. He's going to wave his hand over the spot of leprosy and heal me. And that was this big moment. And he's like, and you're telling me I got to go to a muddy river and you th- really think leprosy is going to wash off with water? Not even using Dawn soap? I mean, come on. Like, we don't even have, like, really? This is ridiculous. There's no way something like water could heal leprosy. And he's mad. He's ticked off. And he turns around and he leaves. And one of his servants on the way back to his country, one of his servants says, look, boss, uh, man, if the man of God would have told you to do something hard, would you have done it? Right? Like, go get the eagle, the eagle egg to summon the eagle powers. <laughs> And uh, anyway, uh, you know, it's something hard. Like, would, would you have done it? He's like, well, yeah, I would have done something hard. And this is where his servant reveals. Like, this is what happens. The, it is the outside of the cup that pushes us to God. 
It is our leprosy that pushes us to God. It is the fact that life just simply isn't working anymore. That's what pushes us to God. And we come to God, and we often expect, I come to church, and pow, zam, whap, poo, I'm going to fall over and foam at the mouth and roll around, and then and I'm going to get up, and and it'll be all different. And I'll go out, and I'll just be super Christian. It'll be all changed. What happens is we come to God, and we're like, well, we sang a few songs. The pastor talked for probably a little bit too long. And... But he was funny, and then, but he also had a lot to say, and I don't know, it was kind of harsh, and sort of, I don't know, and then, like, then we go home, and it's on the way home, oftentimes, that the Holy Spirit comes and says, okay, so it's not just your leprosy that's the problem, is it? I mean, it's not really just your marriage, right? It's not really just your action. It's not your porn addiction that's the real problem, is it? No, no, no. Underneath that, there is this heart that says it has to happen the way I thought it would happen. And it has to make sense to me in order for me to believe it. And his servant reveals that underneath our bad behavior is this heart that is also evil. And there's something that's keeping your behavior from changing and it's the inside of the heart. Naaman didn't have leprosy now because, because he had a physical condition. Now he had leprosy because he had a heart condition. But Naaman did something so awesome that I, I rarely see people do. He humbled himself. He said, you're right. I'm wrong. Wow. That doesn't happen very often. He said, I'm wrong. Okay, where's this Jordan River? And so he goes to the Jordan River and he goes under once and comes up. He's like, see, told you it wasn't going to work. It's just water and it's muddy. And he goes down again, comes out, yeah, okay, so it's not really working out. He goes down seven times. And on the seventh time, he comes up and he realizes that the leprosy is gone. And he's so blown away by this that he jumps on his horse. He goes back to Elisha. This time, Elisha comes out to him. And he says, I'm going to serve your God. And he says, by the way, I do have to go into the other temple. Is it okay if I go into those temples? Because I have to, because my job. And Elisha's like, yeah, that's fine. Let's go. (laughs) But he so desperately wants to do what is right now. You see the heart change. It doesn't have to make sense to him to believe it. And it it doesn't have to happen the way he thought it would. Now he's just open to God's way. And there's a heart shift. And I feel like this is necessary for all of us to receive the gospel. Our kids need to have a heart shift. And oftentimes I'm just the servant walking alongside my kids saying, look, if really all it takes is just saying I was wrong, if really all it takes is just acknowledging that God's ways are better, Look, in uh, James chapter 4, and I don't have this on the screen either, but in verse 4, he says, remember, I already read part of it to you, but in verse 4, he continues, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means that you're an enemy with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture without reason says that God jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But, he says, he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So he says, submit yourselves then to God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. (laughs) The Holy Spirit says, grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's he talking about? He's talking about that if the gospel confronts you, if any of these messages confront you, let it confront you. (laughs) Don't run from it. I want a church that makes me feel better. Well, okay, but, but let it confront you. You can wail even if you like. Loudly. You know, wailing is crying very loudly. People look at you funny. That's part of humbling yourself. Humble yourself, he says. Humble yourself. In other words, put yourself down here and put God up here. Humble yourself. Sometimes raising your hand, especially if you're an introvert, can be humbling to yourself. I know I was an introvert back in the day, and we'd, we'd go into church, and Mama tells, all right, so during worship, you guys are going to raise your hands at some point, right? She didn't actually say it like that, but... That's how I heard it. That's, that's the way it came into my ear. And I was like, oh, man, okay. All right. So, you know, so we, we were singing, and we sang from the hymnal. We didn't sing all the... It's amazing, man, how far worship music has come um, in my lifetime. But anyway, we, like, we, we, we sang from the hymnal, and we're reading off the words. And but I knew I had to, at some point, you know, raise my hands. It's humbling because it's like everybody's looking at me. They're not, but I'm like, you know, because that's what you feel. Well, I don't want to do that because it makes me feel uncomfortable. You mean humbled? Because then you should do it. Absolutely. Do it a lot. Humble yourself. I don't want to get up front and sing because that makes me feel humbled. That's why I didn't want to preach. Because, you know, like when you sit there quietly, everybody thinks you're really smart. But you get up here and stuff starts coming out of your mouth. They're like, "Hmm, I don't know that I agree with that. Everybody agreed with me when I didn't say anything. They all thought I I agreed with them. And I'm cool with that. Like, we're all good. I'm cool. You cannot be cool and be a mouthpiece for God at the same time. Because God doesn't always say things that are cool. He doesn't always tell you to say stuff that's cool. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know about that. But what happens is you humble yourself. And so... Even walking in ministry can be a sanctifying process. So if I can just have the, the worship team come on up, I, I would just like us to continue to humble ourselves in worship for, for just a little bit longer. Um, we have a, a few minutes here at the end. And actually, I just want to challenge you uh, to humble yourself. Uh, you can't really ask your kids to do it till you do it. Um, and for some of us, that may be not always taking the closest parking spot. Uh, for some of us, you know, it might not be in in church. But I just wonder if there's also ways in which we maintain our together, I got it togetherness, <laughs> even when we gather in church. So we don't wail, we don't shout, we don't raise our hands, we don't do anything that would draw attention to me. <laughs> this is a physical representation of what you're doing. He closed off because I don't want anybody to see me. 
But man, there's something so powerful when we humble ourselves. Times when God has touched me the most has been times when I've got out of my comfort zone and I've humbled myself. When I've done things my way and the way that I thought made me look decently smart. (laughs) Not going for brilliant level here, just going for not stupid. (laughs) You know, and I kind of, I'm kind of doing that. God just kind of is like, all right, I guess, I guess you're good. But it's when I get hungry for God and really when I get obedient to God. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. When I get hungry for God, that's when God really does begin to fill me up. And so, I don't know, just during this worship song, I'm just, uh, I guess I feel led to challenge some people to get out of your comfort zone. And specifically, I guess a couple of things. One, if you've heard the gospel today and you want to respond to that gospel and you need the power of God in your life and you need him to do something inside of you that you can't do for yourself. This is true if you're, quote, getting saved or, quote, getting sanctified or whatever religious word you want to put on it. But really, if these slides or this hits you and you're like, ouch, and you want to receive from God, let's just pretend like this is the Fleming, this is the Fleming living room right here. <laughs> All right, cool. You're messed up. We got it. Right? Cool. Now, what are we going to do about it? Who can help you? Hmm. Whom have I on earth beside you? And whom in heaven but thee? There's no one that can help us except God. The same one maybe who's helping Corey with his guitar. (laughs) Yeah, he fine-tunes us. Um, so, so let me, let me just give you an opportunity to come before God. And I just want to open up the front here. And if you're, if you feel like God's calling you and he's hitting you on any of these points and you want to take a step forward out of your comfort zone of your seat and come down to the front to kneel, uh, anywhere around here, not pray to me or anybody up here, but simply connect with God and prayer team. You can come forward and lay hands on, on whoever comes forward telling you that God has come near and the gospel is that yes you and I are more messed up than we allowed ourselves to believe but we're also more loved than we could have imagined and so yeah I just want to open it up right now and I'm going to pray and if you want to pray you go ahead and pray with us father we come before you in the name of Jesus we thank you for the blood of Jesus Thank you that you have come near. And we come before you. We got, we have some issues in our heart. And we thank you for helping us see that. We thank you for the gospel that teaches us who we really are. Because if we just look at ourselves in the mirror, we don't see it. But when we look at your word, we hear your word, we begin to see your truth. We begin to see it your way. And so we humble ourselves right now, Lord. We humble ourselves before you. We don't say we have it all together. doesn't matter how old we are or young we are. We don't have it all together. We need a touch from heaven. We need God. We need God to do a work in our hearts. 
We're not content with church. We're not content with just sitting and singing and listening and then singing and then leaving and then driving home. We want God to touch us. We want something to change on the inside. We want something to move on the inside. We want something to be resurrected. The same fire, maybe, that we had when we first believed in you, that we first came to. We want you. We believe that you can breathe fresh life into us. And so we come to you. You are the river of life. We want to be planted next to you. We don't want to be on the verge of quitting. We don't want to live in discouragement and constantly walking around almost just one more thing go wrong and it's over. No, we want to be fruitful in every season. So plant us deep beside the river of life. Plant us deep beside your grace and your goodness. May your love fill up every area of fear in our heart. May your love come against every giant in our life. We trust in you. Do something inside of our heart even right now in Jesus' name.